Well, Merry Christmas to you. It is Christmas Eve. It is the night that all of these sermons have been building to these last three weeks and now right up to tonight where God becomes a human being in the person of Jesus. And hopefully you are with your family right now as you watch this. Merry Christmas to you. Of course, the big text is glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so this final theme tonight is peace. That's the last candle, the angel's candle. It represents the peace and justice that the angels and Christ bring into the world. Let me start by telling you a story that happened to my friend a few weeks ago. He was hunting and he's out in the middle of the forest for hours and hours all by himself. And he kind of was looking around for moose or whatever people hunt for and He turned to his left and all of a sudden he saw a grizzly bear standing there, a mother grizzly. And of course, that's not what you want to see. She had two cubs. There's a reason we look at uh, women and say that they got uh, mama bearish, all right? Because this is what tends to happen is that the moms out there, something goes down with their kids, they're on the attack. And we get that from grizzly bears who, if you're around their cubs, you will die. And so my friend looks up and looks into the eyes of this massive grizzly bear who is staring at him. This just happened a few weeks ago. And the last thing he remembers is him grabbing for his gun and she leapt at him. One, two. And he remembers her pouncing down on his body and starting to thump with her arms on his chest. And the last thing he remembers is the the smell of the slobber as she slobbered all over his face and went at him, and then he was out. He remembers thinking to himself, I'm going to die tonight. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's come back to that. You see, peace and justice are talked about by these angels They're the most amazing concepts in the world. There's a million ways peace as a massive theme in our lives runs and how it connects to Christmas is beautiful because as we've been saying, we as human beings, we we wonder not only is Christianity true, but does it work? Does it do anything? And there's a thousand ways that it does things in our lives, but also in the lives of the world around us. See, like opening a great gift, We want others to experience it, right? Only if we thought the gift was bad, would we hide it? I remember the first gift I ever gave Aaron when we started dating. I was like 19 years old and I wasn't exactly the best gift giver at the time. And I bought her, she unwrapped it. I remember I thought it was very romantic, very awesome gift. She opened it up and it was a a wolf clock. Uh, (laughs) That's right, you heard it here, kids. A clock with a wolf, a plastic wolf howling. And the clock was like in the midst of like a mountain with like some, um, and it was, and, and she hit it. All right. Well, I've gotten better over time. I've graduated since then. I still mess up sometimes. I got to run it by people. Even this year, I'm like, hey, what do you think about this thing? And my friend's like, yeah, no. And actually my youngest, Isabella, I said, what if, what if I got mom in this thing? She's like, yeah, dad, no. Like, what are you talking about? So I still need help. But, but when we nail the gift, 
We call people, we put on Instagram, we celebrate it. Why? Because it's a nice idea? No, but because it does something to us. It improves our lives in some way, right? When, my, when I buy a, a, a push cart, I remember I, I got a push cart for my golf bag one year and I took it out in the golf course and all the guys like, ooh, ah, look at that. See, I don't have to carry my bag anymore. That's legit. Okay, gifts are like that, all that to say. The angels say there's a special gift that's going to come upon the world because this child is being born. And that gift is peace to all men. We've heard that all during the Christmas season. Peace, they proclaim. Pascal, the philosopher, years ago said, we should totally work on convincing people that Christianity is true. Yes, but only after we convince them that it's good. Right, that they should want it in their life. They should want it even to be true. And we should make people want God. We should show him to be the, the delight of delights, to be wonderful, to be love and truth and grace. And then they say somehow, now, now that your heart is soaring, I want God. So, so let me tell you, it's all true, right? It, it's all the biblical arguments like, archaeology and the morality and God's existence, all those arguments are true, but it's also wonderful. And it's, it's, God constantly has put it everywhere and he wants to draw us to himself. Even when you, if you're watching this right now, even if you haven't believed in Jesus yet, maybe you can't see it yet, but that's only because it's hidden and there's a million pointers to it if you're looking. Read any story. Lord of the Rings, Beauty and the Beast, Sleeping Beauty, Peter Pan, King Arthur, King Lear. What are those stories about? The world is under evil spell. There's evil rulers and sorcerers and we need saving. And there's some noble prince or knight or king who defeats evil and sets the world free. And well, of course, none of those stories are true they do point to one that is, the one where God does exactly all that through Jesus. He comes to make it so we can really fly and never grow old, right? Where evil doesn't win. We're, 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 there really is an evil sorcerer in this world. And we are under enchantment so much so that one day, even nature, as the Psalms say, the trees are gonna dance and sing. Can you imagine that, kiddos? The trees. See, you want this to be true in your heart. That's why we tell these stories and we've told them for 10,000 years. You want it to be true. You want to live out that kind of adventure in your heart and in your life because you love, that's why you love fairy tales and you want to escape and stories at all and movies and novels and you want to sit there and sit by the fire no matter how old you are and have your little drink and read your stories because it makes your heart sore. But because there really is a truth behind those stories, we need to know what that truth is. Where have they been pointing? Why is my soul pointed like that my whole life? Why, when we're three years old, do we demand to be told stories? Why? Because God's trying to break through and give you what? Peace. So what does that do for the world in the here and now? If the king has destroyed evil and pain in principle, are we just gonna sit around and wait for that final application? No, the angels say something very interesting is gonna happen. They don't lead with this child will bring forgiveness of sins or all the stuff that we tend to spend time and talk about, but something else that is the answer to everything I just said. 
Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace on earth. So interesting. Such a good word for our time because now we see that Christianity works. So let me just talk about it in two ways. First, there's the peace on earth. And then there's the peace in ourselves. The peace on earth is, does Christianity do anything for the world? Does it work or does it just sit there as a set of true ideas, true things? Well, anybody close to it sees it does something. The skeptics look and they go, oh no, Christianity's poison to the world because it says that it's the only way. That's not true. I have worked alongside Christians slaving it out to set kids free from trafficking in India and, and with the poor in San Francisco and Mexico and Guatemala and orphans and women in Uganda and inner cities from Vancouver to Turkey and all over the world, all driven what? By a vision for their life given to them, not by secularism, not by atheism, not by philosophy, but by this child that was born. His name is Jesus. No group of people has created better for the world than people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. No group of people has created more education, more hospitals, more counseling. See, love like that, the amount that the church, the people who follow this child, Jesus, in their life is incalculable. Um, I'll give you an example. Recently, uh, the Canadian government was asking the question of, should we remove the charitable status of churches away? And so a couple of them came to us and said, we need to evaluate the value that your church has actually created for the world just in this last year, between 2019 and 2020. And they came in a total third party group and they evaluated our work as Village Church to be $20 million worth of work in the cities and the world we belong to as a church between volunteer hours, pastoring, schools that we help in, local mission, $20 million in one year they evaluate we did good for the world. That's you. People who've been changed by Jesus, who wanted to create a value for the world that was created for you. See, Christianity creates a new world in the here and now. It changes things now. Changed lives change lives. And that's what we see on a huge scale. And so now we want to take that. We've seen it in Vancouver, in Calgary, and now we want to go to... Toronto and Winnipeg and beyond. You're watching this all over the world. How do you bring peace on earth? Because you know this one who was born and died and rose again for your salvation. See, Christianity is working. It's doing something. It makes the world a better place. It brings about the new creation. It's the center of the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not just my little life and the life of my friends and my spouse, but on earth as it is in heaven. There's always been a place for that, and we always have to fight for that in our lives because our tendency will be not to do that. We got to join Jesus in that work in the world, y'all, because with your time and your money and your talent and your passion, rather than just your political cause or your personal life, we could change the world. We could bring peace on earth, as he's talking about. Now, all those are good, but they don't solve our deepest problems. Because if God thought our biggest need was entertainment, he would have sent an entertainer. If he thought our biggest need was politics, he would have sent a politician. If he thought our biggest problem was economics, he would have sent an economist. But he knew our biggest problem, as D.A. Carson, the writer says, was sin, so he sent a savior. 
And then once he saves, he saves us unto something to create a new world right here, right now. That's love and truth and grace in ways the world doesn't know. And so we are the different people. It's like in your marriage, when your spouse isn't loving you the way you need it, you look to Jesus, the one who loved us in spite of us, not because of it. When your friends aren't loving you and your family's a mess and you feel alone, look to the one who was cast out and alone for you. And that makes you go out and solve those issues in your life, not just for you in your personal life, but for others. That's where Christianity goes, peace on earth. People are hopeless right now. They're feeling alone. I know this is a different kind of Christmas, isn't it? We can't necessarily gather with the people we want to gather with. There's so many unknowns for the new year. What, what's going to be there? How life going to work? There's almost a lament going on in the world and even in us. It's almost like the world's going, man, someone save us from this. The race issues and the pandemic and the uncertainty and everyone's looking for an answer. To this, and atheism doesn't give us the answers. It just lets us down. The reality is, as history has shown, the answer is the church and the world doing the work, bringing the peace, loving the enemy, reversing the evil and pain with every cold cup of water or hug given to an enemy. All the peace and justice brought in Jesus' name. There is hope and you are it, Village Church. All of you watching, all of you listening. It's not enough to be on our knees praying for the kingdom to come. It's necessary we stand up and bring that peace to bear in the world so people feel it peace on earth. Christmas can be a restart for us all in that one respect. But then secondly, not only peace on earth, but peace in us. I mean, peace is ultimately what we all want, right? We all seek it. We're unsettled right now. We're anxious. We're unsure. We get sad. We get mad. We get disappointed with our lives and the lives of those around us. How can that change for us like at a soul level? Well, first, we got to understand what's wrong with us. First and foremost, in the Bible, the word peace doesn't mean what we sometimes think it means. It means literally the end of warfare, right? And some of you are like, yeah, but I'm not at war with anyone. I'm Canadian. Ding! I'm all good. No, no, that's where you're wrong. You know who you're at war with? You know what the most fundamental and important peace we need is? You're at war with God and you're at war with yourself, not other people. When Bertrand Russell, one of the most celebrated atheists in history, he wrote many, many books about why God isn't real. And when he was in his very last days on his deathbed, he asked his wife, Edith Finch, to embrace him. And he said these words to her, my love, I've been searching for peace all of my life, but I've never found it except in your arms. Now, it sounds, ah, oh, it sounds romantic, but it also surprises those who knew him as one of the greatest people, philosophers and thinkers of the 20th century, and they go, wait, wait, what are you saying? That you never found peace except in the arms of your wife? And it was his fourth wife. Because in our hearts and lives, from the day we're born, that is the greatest war we are in. We don't have peace. We have hostility in ourselves and hostility toward God. There's no peace on earth because there's no peace with God. There's no peace in your life because there's no peace with God. That's the point. What, what is the Christmas song? God and sinners reconciled. That's the goal of Christmas. So one writer has said, there is no happiness, there is no peace, and there is no joy 
except that we might be right with God. J.C. Ryle says, the child of God has two great marks about him. He may be known by his inward warfare as well as by his inward peace. See, it's only peace. That's the only road to get peace. The only means is to grab a hold of God himself. Like the passage in the book of Philippians, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, right? It doesn't make sense. It surpasses all understanding. The world looks in at believers, people who've trusted in Jesus. It goes, how with all the stuff going on, can you be calm, right? It's the end of all things. I'm stressed. It's a 24-hour news cycle. Look at the world. It's crazy. And we go, yeah, but Jesus is on the throne. And that equals peace in my life. I'm not ignoring. I just have peace in the middle of it. And it doesn't make sense. That's what Paul's saying in Philippians. It surpasses understanding. Charles Spurgeon, who was this preacher back in the uh, 1900s, he said this, oh man, you cannot get your heart right. You cannot get your conscience right. You cannot get your understanding right. You cannot bring your various powers to bear till first you are right with God. The king must occupy the throne and then the estate of man's soul will be duly settled. But till the chief authority has due eminence, rebellion and riot will continue. When the Lord breathes peace into man and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove to dwell within the soul, then there is quiet. Where all was chaos, order appears. The man is created anew and becomes a new creature in Christ Jesus. And though rebellious lusts still try to get the mastery, Yet there is now a ruling power which keeps the man in order set within him. There is the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. That's what Christmas offers. The chaos of your soul to be settled, calm. Remember the storm the disciples were in? What did Jesus tell the wind and the waves? Peace, be still. That's what happens to our hearts and minds the closer we grow to him. Be still, peace. That's the reality. That's the end of warfare with God and ourselves, this war that is within every one of us. The person who doesn't believe in Jesus goes, you know what? I want to live how I want to live. I don't want necessarily God in my life at all. And the religious person says, well, I want to live and I want to believe in God, but I just want to kind of use God the way I'll obey him. And then he has to bless me. That's an effort to control God, not necessarily trust him. And these two reasons are why our world is defined by the opposite of peace. Because we're trying to do it ourselves. So do you feel it in yourself? Anger, fear, anxiety, the burden of life that feels so heavy in our life at times. Am I ever gonna marry? Am I ever gonna go to college? Am I ever gonna get friends? Am I ever gonna succeed at life? Try, 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 try. And having peace is elusive. This thing God offers us in Jesus Christ means that fear and anxiety end. That's why fear not. I bring you good tidings of great joy. The two are connected. Fear not. I'm going to bring you joy. I'm going to bring you good news. I'm going to bring you the message of Jesus. And then you're not going to fear and have anxiety anymore. So go back to my buddy. He's on the ground. This bear, this massive grizzly bear is pounding on his chest. The slobber's on his face and he's out. And the next thing he remembers is waking up. And he told me, I think more deeply about everything now. Because I was, I was gone, man. And every moment I live now is infused with, with a different level of meaning, a, a different weight. I don't fear death. 
It's, it's like it healed me of that. Every day is borrowed time now, a calm, a pacing, a peace about life I didn't have before. Before I opened myself up to the larger story, maybe for the first time ever. See, when you experience something that intense, it changes you. That's the offer of Christmas to every single person watching this. You experience the God who blows fear away like a fog. And then amazingly, he says, this isn't about your death, but my son's death in your place. That's why you don't have to fear anymore. And that's what's going to bring peace. I know life is hard, difficult, painful. There's temptations. There's things, people we miss that we were with last year. Challenges, job loss, pandemics. They take our lives over. And there's going to be a ton of stuff that you feel in life. Disappointment, uncertainty, tiredness, confusion, lack of faith and doubt. But here's the one thing. If you really know me, you don't have to fear because I bring peace. Now, part of the thing behind that story then is the angels say, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. And we hear that, we're like, oh, yawn. Glory to God. What does that even mean? But it's different than you think. It's not just the greatness of God, that he's big and he's strong and he knows everything. We preach that and think people will be like, yeah, I want that in my life. They should, but we miss something that's essential to life. See, in the summer of 1740, Jonathan Edwards, who was like the smartest mind in North America at the time, was asked to preach a sermon to children of his church, little eight-year-olds, and he gets up, and you know what he preached about? He didn't say, here are the doctrines, here's the theology, here's how big God is, so you should believe, kids. No, he preached a sermon called The Six Reasons Children Should Love Jesus More Than Anything Else in Life. And you know what it was all about? Listen to me. Not God's grandness, not his bigness, but his goodness. how awesome he is, how loving he is, how, how inspiring, how wonderful he is. And those are different things. And I don't think we think about the second one that often. Like, out of, do you know, out of the 89 chapters of the Gospels, there's only one place Jesus tells us about his own heart. Matthew chapter 11, 28, he says this, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Meaning Jesus is not only one who loves but one who is love. That's who he leans in. He understands you. He loves you like crazy, like a parent does. He's not out to get us. That's what I'm trying to say. That's what Christmas tells us. Whatever your concept of God was, and maybe you don't even believe in Jesus. Maybe you're like someone who's never believed and you're like, I don't know about any of this, but I know my concept of God is that he's distant and he's angry and he's mad and Christmas breaks. I goes, no, no. My heart is 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 lowly. I am lowly in heart. I am gentle. I am for you. I am love. Everything that is or can be lovely, Jonathan Edwards said to these kids, in any man is in him. That's what should pull you toward him. The loveliness of his heart, not just his greatness, but his goodness. When your kids leave the house, okay, kids watching this, when you leave the house at 18 to go to school or 20 when 25, when you get married or whenever that is, 
You want to know what your parents want you to grasp and understand and be grasped by more than anything about God? Not just his greatness, not just his perfection, something deeper than that. His goodness, his heart for you, his, his awesome, his, his love for you and your love for him. That you wouldn't just obey God, but that you'd like him. And that that heart of God for you was proven in Jesus for sinners and sufferers. He's not only true, guys, he's attractive. And I'm not sure we always do a good job. Like we do a good job with Santa like that, don't we? We're like, hey, you, Santa's jolly. Santa's happy. That's why we love him. And that's good. And kids want to sit on his lap because of that. It's like, he's not only, you know, this, he's actually happy. He's fun. If he was just great, no one would really desire him, even if they did believe in him. And Jesus is great, but he's good. And he's jolly and he's worth loving. Let's never read this verse the same again. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace toward men. Glory to God. The two are connected in every way. The peace comes from knowing the glory because the glory is his kindness and love toward you. Even if you're sinners and you're messed up and you're not perfect, we cannot sin our way out of his tender care for us. Now, it's Christmas Eve. And so the last candle to light is actually the Christ candle. We've talked about hope. We've talked about faith. We've talked about joy. And tonight, we've talked about peace. And the fifth candle is Jesus himself. Him coming, him dying, him rising. But can I just say to you, the mistake we sometimes make is when it comes to Jesus around Christmas, we focus on the baby and forget that he's God. You know all the stories about Jesus in the Gospels. There's a few of them where Jesus is working on kind of his own plane. Even when his parents tell him stuff. In Luke, he's missing for three days. And they find him in the temple. And they come to him, they're like, where did you go? And he's like, what's your problem? Don't you know I need to be about my father's business? This is fascinating. Go read that story in Luke. It's so interesting on so many levels. His dad, Joseph is the one getting him in trouble. And he kind of looks at his dad and goes, you know, a father bigger than you, that's whose will I'm here to do. In fact, I'm God. I've been around forever. I'm Jesus. I'm older than you. He was the first child who could ever say that to his parents. I'm older than you. There's one New Testament scholar, his name's Daryl Bach. He says, Jesus Christ, by simply saying this, and this doesn't come across to us today unless you think through what we just thought through. He says, it's claiming authority such that even the most basic human relationships, like the parent-child relationship, are now transcended. By this act and statement, Jesus transcends all normal categories of evaluation. He says, you can't evaluate me. I evaluate everyone else. Boom. Guys, it's time to sit up and take notice. Yes, baby. 
but what the baby is. He's power. He's all-knowing. He's love. He's meek. He's just, he is our master. He's our Lord. He is more than Christmas. He's everything else, right? Um, most recently, remember last Christmas I talked about Baby Yoda? On the most recent episode that I've seen, and again, I don't want to spoil this for anybody, so if you haven't seen it, you know, maybe go watch it, or at least you're hearing about it. Um, we find out his name, and we find out that he can make some stuff float, which we've already seen in other episodes. And he's, he's moving stuff around. But if you look at him, he's just a baby. He can't even talk. He's like, and he makes these noises. And the one person says the reason he's like that is because he's hiding who he really is. You can't see his true power. See, don't let Christmas do that, where you look at Jesus the baby and it distracts you from everything else he is and everything else he should be in your life, which is everything. God creates the most humiliating circumstances for him to enter the world. He doesn't come in glory. He comes poor to two scared teenagers. Malcolm Muggridge years ago said, if Jesus was born today, we probably would have found reasons to get rid of him. Right, with her poverty, Mary talking about having conceived by the Holy Spirit, she would have probably just gone to, to psychiatric treatment and just let's just get rid of this pregnancy and move on with our life. And Muggridge says, thus our generation needing a savior more perhaps than any that has ever existed would be too humane to allow one to be born. What was that like for him? He was eternal. He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he becomes one of us. C.S. Lewis gives us a great image. He says this, one may think of a diver first reducing himself to nakedness, then glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanishing, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay at the bottom of the water, then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hand the dripping precious thing he went down to recover. He and it are both colored now that they have come up into the light down below where it lay colorless in the dark he lost his color too. That's what Jesus did for you. All kinds of different religions don't give you the understanding of being able to have personal relationship with the divine. Christianity says he's a king, but not a king that rules with an iron fist and gonna force you to do anything. I'm a king of love, I'm a king of meekness, I'm a king of humility that, that invites you. I love you, I lean into you more than you ever could have thought. You needed a savior and I'm that savior. So what do we do with all this brilliant truth? Most of us do what I did growing up with it. Oh, cool, Christmas, move on with my life. But that's the one thing we can't do. N.T. Wright, a writer, says this, how can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human, that fire has become flesh, that life itself walked in our midst? 
Christianity means either that or it means nothing. It is either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world or it's a sham, a nonsense. Most of us unable to cope with saying either of those things condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. Listen, don't stand in the middle between the new world and the old and sit and ponder and think and question any longer. Christmas is the invitation to believe what God has done for you is so beautiful. Why turn the other way? Think of a parent. You mess up, you make a mistake, they hug you, they love you. I saw a picture the other day and I'll leave it with you. It was two kinds of realities about a father that go through our minds when we mess up. The one is, uh uh-oh, I've totally messed up. My dad is going to kill me. And the other is, uh uh-oh, I totally messed up. I better call my father. Christmas says God is like the second one. Lean into him. I'll leave you with a poem from a guy named Henry Vaughn. It says, my soul, there is a country afar beyond the stars where stands a winged sentry, all skillful in the wars. There above noise and danger, sweet peace sits crowned with smiles. And one born in a manger commands the buteous files. He is thy gracious friend. And oh, my soul awake. Did in pure love descend to die here for thy sake? If thou canst get but thither, there grows the flower of peace, the rose that cannot wither. Thy fortress and thy ease, leave then thy foolish ranges. For none can thee secure, but one who never changes thy God, the life, the cure. Merry Christmas.